So if someone came up to you and said, I've never built a house before, I've got a plot of land. Yeah. I can build a house for myself. What is your one tip? Um, don't do it. No, I wouldn't say that. No, uh... <laughs> How you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. All right, thank you. Good, good. I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, appreciate you taking time out. Um, if you could just tell me what's your name, what you do. I'm Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan Doughty. I'm a mixture of things. I'm a designer. I can't call myself an architect because I'm not one, but that's what I do. Um, and I can design for 15 years or 20 years, whatever it is. And then I kind of went into site finding and then eventually property developing. Um, and my main focus now is developing properties. Um, yeah, that's about it really, I think. So one of the questions that we ask uh, everyone that comes on is, how would you define what a self-builder is? Um, I suppose a self-builder is, I mean, it's an individual usually um, that, that wants to build a house uh, and add their kind of spin on it. Um, you know, they find a plot, they get the finance, um, and yeah, build their home. Usually, uh, that's what I define as. Yeah, so the difference between a developer and probably a self builder. Self builder is building a home, whereas a developer builds a product more. Yeah, that's an interesting way of putting it. Actually, developers do build products. I've not, I've not really thought of it like that. Okay. Um, so you mentioned at the start you, you do quite a few things. You said you're a designer and not an architect. Yeah, I mean, so that, but, but, well, you know, if you want to be an architect, you go to university uh, yeah. and you get your level one or two RIBA status, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, that isn't a path that I wanted to take. I mean, nepotism played a part in this really for me because my dad was a designer as well, not an architect. He worked for the council originally and then... Um, and went out on his own, you know, he used to do draw plans for the council and things like that. So and when I say nepotism played a part, I mean, I got a job with him when I was 18-ish yeah. um, and learned on the job, really. Um, so that was kind of a gift in that sense. Um, I kind of cut my teeth doing that, designing kind of various different sites, barn conversions, extensions, you know, commercial projects, etc. So I was fortunate in that sense. Um, yeah, and then eventually kind of, Dad retired and I carried on. Is the difference just a degree for a designer and, a, and an architect? Well, an architect wouldn't say the difference is a degree. No, um, But I would. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, look, yeah, yeah. I mean, so our architects come up with some brilliant things and some, like, you know, they are fantastic at their job and it's not, you know, but you can certainly learn your trade and your specialty, which might be more residential, um, you know, with that kind of hands-on experience, uh, which you don't get at university. Um, yeah. Quite the school of life, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's a place for both, really. Um, yeah. So, so you, so is that, is that kind of how you got your start at your dad's company? Okay, so what was um? T- tell me about like the first time that you actually designed something that was that came to life. Um, cool, first time that was a long time ago. Um, 
I remember, so initially, when we started, we it was kind of a funny time in planning because they, uh, we did a lot of we did a lot of most of our work was in Kingsland and West Norfolk, that borough, um, mm-hmm. and. At that point, they had a new head of planning in, who's still there, so I won't mention his name, although I think the people could put two and two together. And he, he, he decided that he was going to reinterpret planning law in regards to how bank conversions were treated, therefore making them not sustainable um, and unconvertible, which is obviously, being from Norfolk and anywhere rural, bank conversions are obviously a massive part of, kind of the landscape. Yeah. Now... Well, first things we were kind of designing, I remember we had loads of clients that had barn conversions, different farmers, different landowners that we worked for. And I think we had nearly over 20 barns across six sites or something like that. Wow. And uh, it was one of my first things. And I was doing some of the design work on those, um, like the surveying, you know, drawing up existing plans, things like that. Yeah. Um, but then they all went to committee being recommended for a refusal because of this change in the, the planning law. Um, but we won. And uh, we got the planning on all sites, and uh, yeah, and they, and they allow barn conversions out in West Norfolk, so it didn't change, which is good. Nice. So your first design was a barn conversion. I think probably. I mean, I, I don't. I can't to be fair. I can't pinpoint exactly what it was, but it would have been. <laughs> it would have been. We always we had about twenty or twenty to thirty clients at any given time, so there was always a lot of work. Yeah. On. So I couldn't. It was probably. I was probably working on multiple different things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So in your time as a designer, did you have a lot of, were you working with a lot of self-builders? Our biggest, our biggest clients, developers and landowners. Yeah. Honest. Um, but we did, we did work for individuals designing their own homes. Um, and, that, and that would probably maybe 15% of our work. Yeah. Around that. So yeah, we did work with self-builders. Okay. Well, I think, I think probably one of the most, um, helpful things that we could talk about on the podcast today is mm-hmm. kind of from a designer's perspective um, when you're approached by a self builder mm-hmm. um, for, for you to design a site for them yeah um, is there any like misconceptions or any any um, common you know friction <laughs> and, um, <laughs> does it often happen that someone just says I've got I've got this, do something, here's some Yeah, well, the general process, and I don't know if that was more of a reputational thing or, or what have you, is that, and being a designer, is some people will come in and they, they, they common practice, they hand you a bit of paper saying this is what we want, and you looked at what was on the paper and thought, well, that's um, just not great, you know, it doesn't work. Oh. You know, I don't, without being insulting, because you want their business at the same time. But, yeah. You know, um, and the good thing is then the legion interpretation to do what you want and you present them with something that isn't necessarily what they wanted and they went, that's brilliant, we're really pleased. Nine times out of ten that worked. Um, but the common misconception and, and things like that we, where our advice starts is knowing your budget, um, really. Yeah. And that's not really a design thing, but obviously the design is crucial to getting that right figure at the end, you know. Knowing that at the start, so well, we've only got 200 grand to build this house, you know, you don't you don't design something that's 3,000 square feet. Um, you know, so it's... it's that's that was common and really and I think that was sometimes a thing you had to manage with people to say, well, you can't have all of that for what you're you've got. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is there any? How do you? How do you manage that? Like, how how would it? How what would your advice be for someone that well, is? So we, we work closely with lots of builders 
QSs as well and things like that. So, you know, year on year it changes. I mean, at the moment, materials are ridiculously expensive, but you can even, so yeah. that's, we've got, I've got spreadsheets I've designed, which basically, you know, you can plug in a figure and it, and then, you know, you know how much the house is going to cost to build within maybe 10 grand either side kind of thing. Yeah. And then you can focus on the key areas, the PC sum, and say, well, actually, we can save a bit of money there. We can do this, we can do that, or, do the, or they do that work themselves. So at a very early stage, if someone says, right, I've got a two, I want this four-bedroom house, it's 2,000 square feet, it's got X amount of bathrooms, blah, 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 blah. We can kind of go, okay, well, that's going to cost you Why? Um, yeah. based on that. And then that's, that, that helps with the margin. And they go, well, actually, no, I can't afford that, or that's fine. Um, so what would kind of be your tip for someone who's approaching a designer for the first time uh, yeah. in order to, um, you know, get the ball rolling as fast as possible? I think, you know, just be clear on what you want um, and also just be clear on, you know, don't be afraid to tell them what you've got to spend. Yeah. You could just waste everyone's time. You know, you don't, what you don't want to do is go, this is what I really want. They design it for you. You go, fantastic. Then you go through the cost of pricing all and go, I can't afford it. Yeah. If you've got planning for something you can't build, then you have to go back to planning and it costs more money. So it's just knowing what you want to do and know your budget um, at that initial stage is quite important. And you can design around that. You said 15 to 20 years you've been doing design stuff for? Yeah, well, I'm 36 now and I started at 18. So, okay. So, 18 uh yeah 18 years yeah, yeah. nice um quick maths um so yeah, i'm sure you've kind of seen it all in a sense yeah um but i was just wondering if for someone as a self-builder who has like a plot of land mm -hmm. have you seen have you come across any you know um tips or tricks or anything like that in, in terms of like maximizing space apart from just building very high upwards well you, you know, i mean you see you're governed by what what space you have around you but yeah. uh, if you're going to try and maximize space then it becomes about layout doesn't it really because if you can have wasted space in a design and some people you know you see some we we often there's been cases with self-builders as well where they go oh we employed this architect or designer don't i don't know yeah. architects usually an architect though anyway and they they come up they, they show you this house and they say oh they designed this on a plot and you're like how done that it doesn't it doesn't make any sense did you want that well no and i was like all right okay so it's you know and it, it might just be something the way the hallway is orientated with the rooms around it so you're losing a lot of corridor space or something like that and little changes suddenly can make and for the same price as well or even cheaper maybe because you made it slightly smaller you can utilize the space better which is what you have to do we say without going up or down. Yeah, without going up. I don't recommend basements at all. <laughs> that's a no? Not in Norfolk. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Good point. They're expensive. You, you used to do some house extensions and stuff like that. What, yeah. was your, what was your involvement in that? Again, that's usually that's, say, not necessarily so much self-builders as it is, it's people who are building it for themselves. Um, a couple of commercial clients, but 90% of extension work is for individuals, couples or what have you, families. Um, yeah, I mean, we've done hundreds over the years, really, just anything simple for, to a garden room, to kind of a two-storey, you know, big extension off the rear of a property or the front or whatever. Um, yeah, it's, it, for me, it's working with existing buildings is, is, is it's more 
I don't know, I can't engage is the wrong word, but it's more fiddly. And it was, yeah. well, I tried to shy away from a bit if I'm completely honest, I just didn't enjoy it as much. I much prefer doing a new house or a full conversion. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we did plenty of it. Going into an extension, you get an extension started, what, what's kind of like the most important thing to do before you start? Before you start, well. Well, before you, sorry, before you appro- like approach someone, I guess. So, well, again, you're looking at the remit um, and then it's just about kind of that relationship between what you're building and what's there kind of thing and making sure that you're not just sticking a room on the back of a building that doesn't kind of work with the existing property. So it's about, well, anyway, how I would look at it is about saying, well, this is what you've got. This is what the space feels like. How do we want to change that space to make the existing property better? So it's not really an extension. It becomes part of the house, doesn't it? Although yeah. you'd call it an extension. But it's about kind of utilizing that and then and then then seeing what they want out of it so does i always find with extensions it's either you make it traditional so it visually kind of ties in with the property whether that's an yeah. old property or what have you or you do something completely different so yeah. it's a standalone thing um and it's meant to be like that so you, and so you probably go down the more modern route or just a choice of materials which is um different than the main house really because um, there's nice. nothing worth putting an extension on the back, and they just used it's nothing special, and they've used this a slightly different brick or something, and you think, yeah, could have been better. Just a little bit more thought. What's your What's your preference of the two? So, would you rather Would you rather have it kind of fit in with the old one, or do you prefer ones that are just? It really depends. On, it really depends on the property. But if I'm if I'm completely honest, I quite like doing something different. Um, yeah. You know. Usually, if they were an older house, say you know, you know, something big with expansive glass, you know, things like that, to really kind of like bring a lot of light into the room. I mean, older properties quite often don't have very good light because it wasn't necessarily um, what they were thinking about when they're designing it. But now, how we live in houses, whether that's a kind of a kitchen living area, you want that to be nice and light, bright, you know, kind of a decent space. The more modern design does lend itself to that. Yeah, they're my favourite ones. Like in in like London, where they're all like old timey, and then they've stuck just like a load of glass on the back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, in terms of project management, have you? What would you kind of say who's to someone who's just starting to manage a project, whether it's a, let's say, an extension? How would you how would you go about managing? So, so you're talking about someone who's come to me and they've said we want the design doing, and then they're talking about being the project manager themselves. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things. It depends how experienced they are and things like that. I mean, so it's either, it might be an element of hand-holding through, you know, because they don't necessarily know what they're doing. I mean, part of my advice to people is, if they don't know, is, is make sure you just do your homework on your builder. Um mm. There's a lot of common sense, really, with building, as, as I find. Um, and the difference between a project going well or not is, is, is the trades that you have on site. Yeah. Um, and if you've got a builder with a decent amount of experience, things like that, they don't need too much information from the design side of it in terms of like massive specifications or anything like that because they can look at it in a, in a kind of North Key Wangle, that'd be all right, you know, and they'll just get it kind of done. Um so I suppose it gets to an advice level is make sure your professional team and, and everyone around you is decent. Because um, if you're not that experienced, you'll want to rely on those people to guide you through it. Um, and then for people project managing themselves, it's 
you've maybe got the time to do all the research, necessary research you need to do on different products, uh, materials, etc., like that, and then maybe it's like you know, a, a cost saving exercise. Um, yeah, I suppose from a, a design perspective, I mean, I haven't come across many situations where someone said, Oh, we want to project manage this ourselves. I suppose mostly, maybe that's because I work for builders and developers more. So, yeah, they know what they're doing in that sense. So, so it's more of a design service. Yeah. We, um, we're just getting a renovation project um, now, and we're getting we're trying to get builders ready. Uh-huh. It's, it's, it's just a, a reno. It's basically just um, just floorboards at the minute. Okay. Um, and our project management so far has been contacting builders, yeah. and then they say, "Come back to me in a year and a half." Because they're so busy. When I've got space, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, yeah, that's um, that's where we're at. <laughs> oh, so you're saying that you're going to have to take on the building work yourself? I don't know. I might just get the hammer and nails out, put some floorboards down. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. It's yeah, it's a. I don't know. It's. I can I can change a, a light switch. Right. But anything that's like structural, like I'm talking, like I'm talking about, like rooms have no floors, like floor, yeah. and and. It basically needs a whole rewire and yeah. yeah. But also, I don't know what your end goal is with it as well. But you need a certification in place. There's only so much you can do when it comes to obviously things like electric work. You need that signed off. Oh yeah, I know. Well, that's the thing. Any of the um, stuff that could kill me, I feel like I should probably yeah. leave to someone else. Yeah. So I'm pretty just pretty much just looking to paint. <laughs> That's tedious in itself, though, isn't it? I know, I know, I know. Are you doing some design stuff at the moment? Um, yeah, for, for ourselves. Um, I'm doing well. I'm doing an extension for someone as a favour. Yeah. Um, they actually already had it designed, but <laughs> came from an architect. This is, uh, I'm not being horrible to the architect, but they designed it too big. Right. They said we want it to be four by four, replace our existing conservatory, which is useless, and make it a nice garden room. They did it like eight by six or something, and it was too big, too expensive. So I've come along and I've just changed it to something much smaller than doing all the building rigs work for it. Yeah. That's one project I'm doing for someone, but that was more of a favour, if I'm honest. Um, but I mean, our main focus on design is the farmhouse we've got here um, and the eight farms around it. Um, yeah. So tell me about what, what's going on at the, at the farm. You have, um, we, I messaged you on your Instagram, Instagram hmm. account, Abbey Farms Norfolk. Yeah. Abbey Farm Norfolk, yeah. Abbey Farm Norfolk. Um, what, tell me about that. What is that? So, it was well, last year we were kind of thinking, what do we? Well, we've got three houses we were building and docking. Um, yeah. Terrace three. We sold all those. Just finished them off um, last the end of last year. Yeah. And we we're like, what do we want our next project to be? Um, and we've got another site of four new houses, um, which. Um, was we bought subject to planning, um, and which we've got the planning for now. Um, mm. Which we, and then it was, it was, okay, what do we do? We want to do that? But then we found me and my wife were also looking to move somewhere, and we're like, what are we going to do? Anyway, my wife came up with this farm, Happy Farm. She said, yeah. "Oh, what do you do?" I said, "We can't afford it, so um, we're not looking at it." <laughs> A week later, we went and looked at it, and um, 
Yeah. So we now bought it. And since we bought it, it had planning permission for, it's got about, uh, was it 16, 17,000 square feet in barns? Yeah. Um, and it had planning permission for three units. So one massive barn, which was about 6,000 square feet. It was too big. Yeah. Um, we came with another barn, which was already done. It was a two-bedroom barn. Yeah. Um, and another one to be converted. So we've gone back to planning now. We've now got seven units, um, which we got the planning permission through last week. It's only taken seven months. Nice. And, yeah, too long. But um, And the farmhouse, which we're extending and, and, and doing the work to. So it's become a much bigger project. And we yeah. saw some added value in it that we could increase the value of the planning, um, which I think we've done now. Um, but it's an exciting project, you know. Um, so are they, will you keep them barns? Are you going to... That's the plan. Well, not all of them. Not, not well, it, <laughs> we'll see how it pans out. Um, there's obviously a reasonable expense in doing it, and then it's kind of like weighing up how big you want your mortgage to be to kind of cover it all. Um, yeah. And then we'll, we'll, but we're certainly looking at keeping five of them and the farmhouse, um, selling three maybe. Um, but we'll see we'll see so what kind of a what kind of a restoration project is it is it is it like just are you going to have to knock anything down are you going to or is it just like adding on to what you've got or so the farmhouse itself I mean that's the 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 rent there's all conversion renovation work the farmhouse itself um the owners that lived there for 20 odd years brought up the kids then so I mean it was really nice really really nice um Mm -hmm. And I could see the work we wanted to do to it to make it how um, we envisaged it. Um, yeah. You know, because our brand sits at what we call a luxury brand. Um, so when we do houses, every bedroom usually has an ensuite, a dressing room, and that kind of thing. It's just a, yeah. So we kind of conf- reconfigured the barn to make it five bedrooms, five ensuites, um, extended it, and, and just various different things but it's, yeah it's quite a bit of knocking about inside and moving the staircase because the staircase was fine but it was a little bit restricted so we're making a much larger staircase um that wraps around and goes up to the second floor yeah um two of the bedrooms were wiped out we're making one massive master bedroom with you know big walk-in uh wardrobes etc two, yeah. two more two more bedrooms with ensuites on the first floor then two two more bedrooms with ensuites on the second floor and an upstairs living room as well on the second floor. Yeah. Uh, so imagine that would be like a kid's room or what have you. Um, and then we're extending out the back probably, I can't remember how big it is, it's 18 by five. Yeah. Quite large extension. Um, and that's down the more contemporary route. So it's massive expanse of glass out the back. Um, and then it's got like kind of retaining wall at either end, which is done in Flint, which is quite nice. Yeah. Uh, then we'll put the kitchen to the back the house move the kitchen and then just open the house with kind of like circles it is because currently it's a room through a room through a room through a room yeah so because it's long you know it's 25 meters long or whatever it is um so by putting the extension on the back we can create more of a circular movement yeah to make it feel more homely um okay. yeah and that'll be able to fire about five thousand square feet when we're finished awesome. and, uh, yeah so it's an exciting one it's 1637 or something it was built which was old oh wow yeah. So what I'm, era is that? Is that Elizabethan? Past. Um, the thing is, if you go to university, they teach you that. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. They probably would. I, I didn't, you know, so I just had to see what it is. But it's, 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 yeah, it's old, but it's not mm. listed, interestingly, which is, is good news. They're old barns, but I mean, I, I think that they probably weren't built when the farmhouse was built. I would say they're probably 100 years younger. Wow. Um, yeah. That's so that's good. Going. Yeah. So the farmhouse itself is obviously quite a bit of work to start with. Um, but then, We've got like a, the barns are a mixture, so you've got three three beds, one, two, one, two, three, four beds, a five bed, and oh no, another three bed and a two bed. So they're all all on suite. They're all um, etc. So yeah, it's, it's it's a really exciting project. Yeah. Um, so with it with it being not listed, obviously, and if you own the land, you can kind of do whatever you want to it. Are you planning on Within reason. Within uh, yeah. reason. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I know. Um, but um, how much of like the, because obviously barns classically are kind of like charactery properties. How yeah. much of the of the character do you plan, plan on keeping? Like how do you mix, you just as said much, high much. end, and then how do you mix high end and, and character? How do I mix that? Uh, well, the, the thing about character, it can fit into whatever kind of style, really. Um, well, what, what I wouldn't do with a barn is obviously by I mean by property barns usually have large openings they have a lot of glass but what we yeah. wouldn't do is do big panelled glass it'd be thick sections to see yeah. the barn uh, but it'll still let a lot of light in um, and the materials we'd use inside would be just quality materials but like you know you go down the traditional thing we always put handmade kitchens in um, you know so they're all bespoke painted in kind of heritage colours yeah a little fire and ball colour chart out that kind of thing because you want it to be new mm. but then you also kind of don't want it to feel totally out of place because it's in a barn no I mean that comes down to material choice I mean it's like where you kind of you know you do the, the floor tiles you wouldn't put in some kind of like you know white marble on the floor or something like that you know you'd move away from what I'd call like an Essex mansion kind of style and yeah. go from, you know you put flagstones down um, or which are lovely and they give you that kind of feeling of um, something older um, and quality as well because you know natural stone is is nice but there's also there's lots of other t- like porcelain tiles and things you can get again which give you that same effect it's just be careful what products you choose you know because you can mess up you know we've been in plenty of bounder versions where I, I believe they're not being converted that well and that does often come down just to material choice inside but if it's the if it's that person's personal choice, that's fine. You know, it's up to them what they do. So let's talk about some of the houses that you've built yourself to live in. Yeah. Um, what was what what was the first one? Tell me about that. The first one was the one that uh, the first house I built myself to live in was um Taverham. Um I bought a site there with four houses. Yeah. And that was actually my first standalone development. Yeah. And I think anyone in property will realise that finance is quite difficult at first for property developers because they say, well, what's your experience building yeah. houses? And you'll go, well, this was my experience from an architect or from an architectural sorry, point of view or yeah. project management and what have you. But have you built any yourself? You go, well, no. Okay, well, until you build something, we won't lend you the money. And you're like, right. right. It's a bit chicken and egg and it's, it's quite difficult. So they're, they're the kind of barriers that I dealt with at first. And then um, I found this site in Taverham and I had – enough money to buy the site but then i didn't have the money to build it 
So right. I bought the site and then I was applying for the finance. And they're like, no, because you haven't got enough experience. I was like, well, yeah, but I have. I mean, here's my CV of houses that I've done. No, we need to, you've actually spent your money on building a house. Like, right. So then I had to think outside the box. So I had a bit of extra money where I could start the work. So all the groundwork and things like that. And then I had got a self-build mortgage yeah. for the main house, which I was keeping. Yeah. And I just muddled through, really. I don't know quite how I got to it. I had a really good builder who was very patient as well. Um, but there were a couple of occasions where, you know, I was a month late with money and things like that because I was having to refinance as I went along. So right. as I finished something, I'd stick a buy-to-let mortgage on it and then move around the site. So it was, yeah. it was a money management process as much as it was a design process. Um, but self-build mortgages are brilliant. They, yeah. work, they work really well. That was with the um, Ipswich Building Society. Yeah. They were great. Um, yeah, really good. And you bring them up to you at this point, and they'll go, okay, lovely, and transfer you the money, pay the builder. There you go. There we good. That's cool. So to get around the development um, mortgage, yeah, you just built a house for yourself. Then I refinance that, and then. So then, what was what was the development like? Was the development kind of based around your self build? So I did three shallow bungalows, which is yeah. not something I love doing um, because they're not they're just quite ugly. Usually, these weren't too bad. Um, and then I did the house I did was quite modern. It was like brick, and I had cedar cladding on it. They had a big modern extension area to the back on, on the kitchen area. So it was yeah. kind of that, and that, I used K render for that. So it was all just different things. So I did the chalet bungalow next to that is cedar as well, just to kind of match in. And then the two at the front that are on the, the Fakenham Road, um, they were just kind of typical white faces that you'd expect from a chalet bungalow. But they were nice. Um, and, you know, we kept one of them ourselves um, for a bit and then we eventually sold it. Um, and then I sold sold the Tabram house. Um, yeah. So what was what was that like? What was your experience like on the on the first one? Um, was that what did you what did you learn on that one? Uh, I suppose it, a lot of a lot of things I said seem to come back to sorting your budget and sorting your finance, and that's that is what I learned really. Yeah. I knew what I was doing. I knew about the design. I knew how to manage your site. I knew those things, but it's what I didn't know. What it was like to run a development company. Yeah, because um, I hadn't done it before. Although I worked for numerous developers over the last 10 years kind of thing it was more okay so it's about you know managing that money um and yeah and i suppose and after that you know i sharpened my pencil in that sense because everything after that was purely a commercial development so it was like well buy this get planning get the loan from the bank um and then that pays for your build and you sell it that's what you need to do that's the simple way of saying it yeah. um and that becomes key to all of it, managing your budget, managing that. And, you know, don't go over because you think X, Y, and Z. And then hopefully make a profit. Um, but, yeah, there's obviously a lot of pre-work into that as well because you, you've got to have your ducks in a row to make sure that you build it as per priced and specification. So going back to Abbey Farm, uh-huh. I don't know that you, if you mentioned – you mentioned the barns in Abbey Farm, but there's, there's pods? Yes. Yeah. So – I, I, well, we've got seven acres here, so we've yeah. got a reasonable amount of space. We've got the central area, which is in about two acres, and then you've got a meadow that goes up to the A140. Yeah. 
uh, with loads of with the wood in it. And then on this side, which is the east, there we are, um, we've got about another three acres where um, I thought, why don't I just start a glamping site? Yeah, as you do. As you do. It's an idea I'd had before, but I didn't have the land. So my business partner who, you know, I said, look, he said, okay, <laughs> trust you on it. <laughs> yeah. And then, so last, how long have we been open now? Since October or something? I mean, we chose pods that you could use in the winter. I mean, I'm in it now. You can see an ensuite behind me. Uh, yeah. And um, they've got a kitchen. Yeah. They sleep up to six. Up, up, up there is a mezzanine, and then there's a double king size bed the other side, and then we've got a safety bed in it as well. Um, yeah, we ordered these these domes called F domes. I'd seen them on things before. You know, you can't see. Yeah, them. I see, see them in like um, model couples in Iceland watching the um, yeah. you know the Northern Lights outside on Instagram. That's where yeah. I've seen them. That's, that is where you'll see it. Um, yeah. and I'd followed them for quite a while. Um, and they're based in Poland, actually. Um, okay. And they're, you know, they're, they're a great company. Um, so we ordered all the domes. They all came in and came in on about thirty-five pallets yeah. um, from Poland in two lorries, which pleased the neighbours when we blocked the road. Thirty-five um, pallets for how many domes? Three. For three. Yeah. Cool. But they're about they're five hundred square feet each, or five hundred fifty square feet each. Yeah. So they're big. Um, yeah. So you'd have a pallet which would have the ensuite on it. That was all pre-made. And then you've got a pallet that's got the kitchen on it. Then you've got one with the mezzanine on it. Then you've got all the bags with the tent, the insulation, the frame. Um, so what we had to do is we put these um, bases down um, and then we just connected it. Because we had on the site, we had capacity on the site for the water main and the drainage already. Um, yeah. So we just had to connect that up and the electricity. We had an existing three-phase supply in the barn, so we could just come off that. Yeah, and away we went. But it's been popular. It's popular. Yeah. Um, yeah, and people have stayed all through the winter. We have people in at Christmas. Um, oh, cool. You know, we've got, they've got a massive log burner in them and a couple of heaters, and they, yeah, they stay quite cosy. And you've got the wood-fired hot tubs outside. And, yeah, and staycation's quite popular at the moment, obviously, because people aren't travelling abroad as much. Yeah because of the various restrictions that might be imposed. So yeah, it's, it's, it's good. And it's nice to have a bit of passive income when you're developing houses because you don't see money on a monthly basis when you develop houses. Yeah, of course, yeah. It's quite cyclical, so. So is that, so is that like the Airbnb and everything like that? Is that where? Well, so I um, signed up with um, two agents one was yeah. glamping hideaways which is a spin-off of norfolk hideaways yeah um, and then cool camping yeah and they've got glamping lee and things like that as well so yeah so i list with them um and if i'm honest um we get 99 percent of our bookings through instagram yeah um which is great because we don't have to pay them commission yeah. um We've had, you know, we've had 125 bookings now. Oh, wow. Yeah. And two of them have come through third parties. Everything else has come through Instagram. Two. <laughs> so it's more, that's more, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's more than 99%. <laughs> yeah, well, it, yeah. It's, it's about 98.7% or something. Right. Oh, you've actually done the math. Yeah. 
it's not a lot. I mean, it's, yeah. So we're kind of like saying, well, actually, why don't we just do it all ourselves, really? Um, they don't know that yet. So if they watch your podcast, they might find out that uh, I'm giving my notice in. Um, but uh, <laughs> That's cool, though. Instagram is crazy powerful. Uh, the amount of people that I've spoken to just th- this podcast um, and the the property space on Instagram, whether it's, um, you know, Airbnb units or, you know, yeah. or... Well, it's great. I mean, there's, you know, there's lots of positives and negatives around social media, but I mean, the positives certainly from a work-wise are a good thing. I mean, I, as I'm sure you do, you know, you follow the accounts you're interested in and you see what people are doing. And it's quite nice to see if in property, for example, seeing other people, what they're doing, why they're doing it. And then you kind of get that kind of more day-to-day experience of what those people are going through with their, their schemes. And it's quite interesting. I mean, I think you obviously you had, um, Remy on your podcast yeah. before, and that's where I found him. You know, yeah. I started following him, and he then followed me. And, you know, you chat with them, and yeah, it's quite a good sounding board as well. You know, when you're speaking to people, say, so, "Oh, where, where, where did you find that product, or what have you done?" Whereas before, it's all your own research. Yeah, uh, so it's good. Do you think people are still a little bit um, closed off with stuff like, "Oh, where did you find that?" Like if I was just to to DM someone, one of these property influencer people, where did you buy, where did you get um, those tiles from? Would they tell me? I don't I'd like to probably. think so. I mean, I, 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 well, if I mean, speaking from personal experience, I mean, I, I've had I have people ask me questions, and I'll tell them the answer, and I've asked people questions and got the answer back. I've never had a F off, they're my tiles, I've got this special price kind of thing, you know. It's, I think most people, I think, I'm not singling out property as different than other industries, but the property industry, people who are involved in it, you kind of get two camps, I find, but the one camp's slightly higher, and that's people who are actually generally passionate about what they're trying to create. Yeah. So if they're passionate about it, they'll want to share it with you as a rule because they're proud of what they've done. Oh, these are great. This company is great. I use this. It's They're fantastic. The other side of it is people who are purely just commercial and they're just doing it to make money. They don't care as much. Mm -hmm. Um, And you usually see that in their own product because they haven't paid quite as much attention to what they're finishing. Yeah. Um, So it's it's kind of a balance. I mean, again, Instagram accounts I follow, I'll I'll target Remy again here. I'm sure he'll be pleased. But you can see when you look at what they do that he's really passionate about what he's doing. Yeah. he throws himself into it and he talks about his things with passion and interest and you can see that drive, which is yeah. why I think people follow him and, and why it's an, he's an interesting follow. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure if I messaged him or anyone messaged him, I'm sure he'd reply and say, oh yeah, mate, we found that here, but we yeah. did this or, because he's interested. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, have you, had, have you had it where people have said, have you come back at you and said no or? I've, I've had seen what? Just seen. Where they've seen it, where they've read it and just not replied. Oh, seen. Ah, right. Okay. Sorry. Apologize. <laughs> what, is, that, is that a big account? Is it all just uh not not as big as Yeah. Not I think huge. they think that they're bigger than they are. <laughs> when they don't let's, let's, let's signal them out here and call that no, that's not. But I uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I I um yeah, I know. I mean I suppose it's down on the end of it. Yeah, what you said just then about um, 
it's probably because they're not they're just doing it for money and they're just thinking business yeah. and they don't want because that's what it that's kind of what i'm getting at is that it's like i'm not asking you where the tiles are just for the sake of this i'm asking you where, what tiles you got because you like I'm, them because yeah. i'm going to buy them and use them in mine yeah so people see it as competition so they're like oh no i'm not giving them away my, my secret sauce competition's a funny one isn't it I, at the end of the, there's room for everyone yeah um and if for whatever reason you feel, I, this is my belief, sorry, it's not necessarily true, but if you are, if you blame your failures on the fact that there's competition, you're probably not doing your job well enough as, as I see it. Because, yeah, you, you might miss out on a site from time to time and that's where the competition comes in, but there'll be another one. You know, there's room for everyone. And it, there's no, you know, I wouldn't, for developer even like in the village next door to me, um, said, oh, I love that. Where did you get that from? I'll tell them. You know, and, and, I, and I'm just confident in what I do, and I don't think that affects me in any way. Um, but that's how I see it. I, some people might have a different experience that or think differently than that. But. Back to Abbey Farm. Yeah. Um, how did you kind of, what was the, the, the process going into it? So obviously you, you said, I'm going to put some, we're going to do glamping, not camping, glamping. Yeah. Um, and you want it to be pods. And obviously with something like that, so it's not like a hotel where it's like a, I'm going somewhere, so I just have to stay somewhere. Where can I get that's just like the cheapest and has a bed and I'm going to be warm. But yeah. you're offering more of an experience. Yeah. So how yeah. do you go in that, into that? Like, cause it's not, it's not just building a house. It's not a development. It's you're almost building an experience for people. Yeah. Well, I'd be lying if I'd said that I've got a lot of experience in the tourism industry. Um, I don't. My <laughs> wife has more, um, but we neither of us had left properties out before. And there has been, I'd say, teething problems. They weren't massive problems, but they're things you're learning the whole time. Um, yeah. What we did and what we set out to do was, again, kind of with that kind of quality experience, you know, we could have gone for a certain type of, like a shepherd's hut or a whatever, but what we wanted to create yeah. was something that we would classify as luxury. So, and that has actually, <laughs> we've had, you know, 20 or so reviews on TripAdvisor and we've had a couple of average ones and we yeah. had one person who gave us an awful review, but they never stayed here. So. Of course. That is, you don't, that is so funny. That is always the bad reviews. The people that actually cannot review your stuff because they, they haven't used it. No, they hadn't. And to be fair, they, they, we, they had experience with our business. I mean, we, they cancelled and, um, I processed the review, but had a problem, uh, their refund, sorry, but I had a problem with the um, payment thing. So it came in two days late, but they emailed right. me every day saying, oh, God, I've done it. And they didn't believe me anyway. So they gave me a one-star review because it was called, and they called it um, refund from hell. I <laughs> know oh, it was, it was 200 quid. It wasn't like <laughs> two so, days late. I oh, know, but then every other reviews are generally five star, but the couple we've had that are three star, um, you know, it was, it's kind of like your first, I'm not used to it, you see. So I was a bit like, oh, God, bastards, yeah. I hate them. Oh, no, I don't. Yeah. Fair enough, they've got, you know. So you look at what, you look at what they're Take saying. Take it personally. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's part of my problem. I was like, your face. God, they must hate me. Um, but it, it, to be fair, at the time, it was around the heating and things like that, and we've upgraded all of that since, you know. So we did listen. And so that's kind of been the learning curve and, and like, dealing with cleaners um, and the kind of different products. But the great, the great part of it is we've kind of made partnerships with lots of local businesses um, and 
that's that's really been quite nice working with um, these kind of local companies and supporting them, and they in turn support us. So it's, it's that's been I suppose quite rewarding. I mean, we've got um, Winnie B's Bakery in Sheringham, yeah. um, and she's great. She's she's really good at what she does, and she does all our cookies for our welcome hampers. Yeah, and she also does like celebration cakes and things like that, and she's brilliant, and her, and her products are great. And then we've got we had our own gin made. Oh yeah, fun um, with Waterhoot gin. Yeah. Um, so we've got an Abbey Farm gin, cool. um, and an Abbey Farm beer as well, which was in partnership with Barsham Brewery. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, um, and our own tea and our own coffee. Again, we did that with the tea junction um, mm-hmm. there in the Castle Mall. Yeah. Um, and our own jam as well, a jam. Yeah. So cool. we've got, yeah, it's quite, and it's quite cool. All local stuff. And yeah, it's been interesting. Um, but we're now settled into it and it's, it's going well. You know, um, got good cleaners, got, you know, good people around it. And, yeah, it's certainly different. But yeah. we didn't buy Abbey Farm with the intention of doing a glamping site, though. Um, no. That was a kind of a side thought to it. I mean, yeah. ultimately, it was looking at the farmhouse and the barn because that's what we do, really. Yeah. Um, how how important is relationship with like local people when you're doing, you know, development, self builds, things like that? <laughs> well, it helps to have them on side. Yeah. Um, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> it's a funny, I don't know, I've always experienced it for years. Um, and it depends on the community, it depends on the place. I mean, if you're doing an application in Norwich, people don't seem to care in the same yeah. way. Now, you get onto the North Norfolk coast and it's a different kettle of fish. I mean, the problem, you know, well, you have 10 or 15 objections usually to a planning application on the coast, if not more. Yeah. Um, and my experience, the best way to deal with it is to be open and honest at the forefront. So email the neighbours and say, yeah. this is what we're doing. Um, and if they do object, it's usually probably less of an objection than it would have been if we hadn't contacted them. It does backfire because sometimes they use the information you've given them as part of their objection. But uh, <laughs> at, least, uh, at least it's not a wrong objection. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, so here, we, we, we they, they, I mean, the neighbours here, they don't like the glamping site particularly. Um, and then they objected on the barns and things like that. You know, we want them for local people and all that kind of thing. And they got the bee in the bonnet because I didn't talk to them about what I was going to do. So I said, but your house is 400 yards away. There's a 25-acre field in between me and them. And I didn't even know the houses were there. <laughs> so I said, I, I, contact, I always contact immediate neighbours. Yeah. Um, but as our immediate neighbour is a deer um, and not, not much else, I, I felt it was okay not to contact them, although I've been in contact since. You know, I'm trying yeah. to I'm trying to be nice, but we're not yeah. we're not doing anything to affect them. But it is important, and you've probably found it as well. You know, and things you have done. Yeah, everyone's got an opinion, and they don't really like change. Um, yeah. But we're not. You know, you don't go out of your way to upset them. Just try and be sympathetic in what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and when it's done, often people who have objected actually don't mind it as much. Yeah, that's, yeah, that is always how it goes. They go, oh, yeah. nice job, that looks good. So one question I did have about um, being both a designer and a self-builder and a developer. Yeah. And uh, a host of a glamping site. 
<laughs> didn't forget that one. That's important. Yeah. Um, how does how is your um, design background um, affected your you know your developer hat? Huh. I would say positively as a whole. Um, the reason I'll come to in a second, the, the potential negative is that you go off on some sort of like arrogant design kind of tangent and they're expensive. And I, I do feel <laughs> I had done that a bit, although the market warranted it. I, there was a house I did in Ringstead where we bought the existing house, renovated it, and then we put this new build in the garden. Yeah. And it that was modern. I mean, it was, right. yeah, it had a two glazed gables, you know, one at each end, and then it was all vaulted in the hallway. It was quite special. Um, yeah. But, yeah, my design went away with it. And I probably wouldn't go quite that. Well, I might do, but in the right side, but, it, yeah. So that's where it can go one way. But the benefit of it, the massive benefit, is that we, I can walk on a site, look at the size of it, and see how many houses I can fit on there in my head. I don't yeah. need to sit down. Oh, yeah, I will sit down and draw it eventually, but, I mean... I can do it, or I can come when we came to view here in the barns. I was like, well, I can one, two, three, four. I can see how many houses I was going to put in it. Yeah. And uh, just from turning up. And that's, that's the design from years and years and years of site planning and master planning and things like that. That you then can just apply that knowledge by visually. Um, so that's, that's the benefit. And it, it means you can make a decision quickly. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is good because, yeah, so we can look at it. And go, yeah, we'll make an offer, as opposed to going, I've got to go do a work, speak to the architect, speak to this, speak to that. You can just do do that side of it quicker, which is good. Yeah, all of those people are you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is a bit like that. Yeah, I mean, my business partner, who owns half of everything, yeah, he's a builder. Yeah, so it's a good partnership in that sense. Yeah. So we can we can walk on site and go, uh, we can do this, this, and this. And you hear, how much do you reckon that's going to cost? And then we kind of work it out, is that possible? And, oh, we'll just do this, we'll just do that. So it's quite a good balance between us um, yeah. when it comes to making a decision quite quickly. Neither of us are finances. You know, we're not so many of these people, and you've probably met a few of them on your podcast. There's them, and then there's someone sat behind them. Yeah. Just putting their money in for X percent or they own it and actually getting like the person who's actually doing it and getting 10% or whatever. That's quite common. Even big, big developers. It's very rare that they don't have financial people in the background. Yeah. Silent investors. So if someone came up to you and said, I've never built a house before. Uh Um, I've done some renovations, but uh, I've never built a house before. I've got a plot of land. Yeah. Build a house for myself. What is your, what is your one tip? Um, don't do it. No, I wouldn't say that. No, uh, <laughs> Save yourself a hat. What are they doing? Are they, are they, are they managing themselves and things? Or is it? Well, I don't know. Is that the advice? Is that the advice? Get, get a good site? Get a well, good no, I'd, say, I'd say just get your professional team in place, you know, yeah. and professional team extending that to builders. Yeah. I wouldn't normally call them part of a professional team. Um, but get your builder and your professional team right. And you'll end up saving yourself a lot of money because you get a shipbuilder in there or uh, or your designs aren't quite right or they're not what you wanted. You just cost you money. Because uh, yeah. I say, if you're not that experienced, you need good people around you. Because if you haven't got them, then they'll, learn, then they'll look back at you and say, well, what do we do? And you're like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Never done it before. <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah. 
get your professional team right. Project, good project manager. Yeah, again, it depends on the project. I mean, I said it earlier, I think. I said, if you get a good builder, you don't need a project manager because they act as a project manager themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I mean, I, there's an element of management that I do myself, obviously, but when we do, when I do a development, this is before I'm with my current business partner, it's just me saying, yeah. I, I go to site however often, but I'm not there going, do this, do that, do that. I've given it, to, I, I've employed a builder at that point who I know can manage a project themselves. Yeah. Um, so they give you a price and, and that includes an element of management. Um, and then you work with them. They say, well, can you contact UKBN now or can you Anglia water this? And, oh, I need to know what tiles you want and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah. And that, in that instance, you don't really need a project manager. As I see it. Fair enough. Yeah. Good, good advice. Um, so if people want to find out about you, um, maybe your um, land purchasing and, and the um, Abbey Farms, I guess, where, where, where's best to find you? Three, there's three places. So I've got the development company, uh, which also doubles up a design company called Mulberry Homes Norfolk. Um, yeah. We're on Instagram, I believe. Yeah. Um, and then... Abbey Farm, which is our Abbey Farm Norfolk, which is our kind of, our, it's our, our most recent project and it's also kind of an ongoing business um, from kind of a tourism point of view. Yeah. Um, and then I've got something else called The Secret Developer. Yeah. Which is, it's not that much of a secret because I'm saying it on here, but it's it's planning advice. It's in, informal planning advice. So if you've got a project and you're thinking, oh, can I do this? You send me your remit the site you are and then i'll do kind of a small report on title um and i'll look through the building you know and i'll, I'll cite planning laws to you and i'll make a recommendation of what you can and can't do based on your remit and then yeah so that's what i do as a kind of like a little side thing yeah uh, and um yeah so that's the secret developer so it's abby farms it's very mulberry homes um, awesome Cool. Thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. That's some really helpful yeah, stuff. Enjoyed it. Awesome. awesome. Thanks. Nice one.